Bruce has already said, my name is Tim. I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine Church. And we are carrying on our series of God's name. And I'm super excited about this. Uh, I, 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 when I've just been researching and studying and, and preparing for this, this is really, I felt like God is speaking to me. And my hope and prayer that God will speak to you throughout this whole series. So we've named this series God's name. And we're specifically looking at Exodus 34, uh, verses 6 and 7. But overall, we're looking at the book of Exodus, but we're focusing on uh, these specific verses. And I started off last week talking about experiencing God. But I just want to just give us a bit of a recap. Because I wonder when you think of God, who do you think of? What comes to your mind? What, what thoughts conjure to your mind when I say the word God? What kind of person or thing, or is he just an object in your mind, or is he, do you think of some of his character, but what do you think of God? See, if you've been in church a while, you would often hear people quote, oh, God is slow to anger, he's, he's rich in love, he's compassionate and gracious, and that you know, they're often quoting Psalms, they're quoting the, the, the Bible characters, David. But what warrants us to quote those things, what warrants David to quote those things, it really goes back to this Bible verse, Exodus verses 6 to 7. And actually, it's this verse that is uh, in, in full and in part is most quoted throughout the whole Bible. Some scholars say that actually a lot of our faith hangs on this verse. You might be thinking, well, doesn't Jesus? But we see throughout this series that Jesus comes to, in many ways, he is the personification of this verse. So, so come with me. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Exodus 34, uh, and we're going to read verse 6 and 7. But let me just give you a bit of background if you weren't here last week. So Exodus, remarkable book. Exodus is all about God rescuing his people. At uh, this time in uh, history, God's people are in Egypt, they're under slavery, they're under bondage, they're suffering, they're, they're in fear. And God wants to take them away from Egypt towards the promised land, where they'll experience liberty and freedom. But most of all, this is where it is, they will be able to worship their God. And God chooses this man called Moses. And Moses' job would be to lead the people, and he was there when the, the plagues come in, you know, when all those plagues came in. He was there leading them through the Red Sea, and he, he, he brought them towards the promised land. And that is Exodus chapter 1 to verse 18, roughly, in a nutshell. And then we get to Exodus 19, and Moses is with the people, and they're in front of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. And this is where God makes a covenant with his people. He says, if Israel, his people, obey the terms of the covenant, they will be shaped by the laws and the teachings, and they will become a kingdom of priests, and they will be like no other nation. He's saying that if you follow my teachings and laws I give you, you will be like no other nation, and other nations will look to you to see who is God, who is God. He's saying that people will look to you to know who God is. That is pretty good. Because if God was to say to us, to this, to us today, he would be like, Vine Church, if people are going to look to you to know who God is, you'll be like, yes, we want that. We want the people to look on us 
uh, to know who God is. And the people at that time were like, yeah, we're up for this. We, are, we want this. And then on Mount Sinai, a cloud appear, lightning and thunder. And Moses goes up to the mountain. And he, he has a conversation with God, and we get the Ten Commandments. And this is what they've got to uh, obey. This is the commandments they've got to obey in the covenant. And then we get Exodus 25 to 31. And this is when uh, God gives a blueprint of what the tabernacle is meant to look like. This is the tabernacle just up here. And this is where God's presence will dwell. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, uh, God walked with his people. He was with them in presence. And then sin entered the world, and God's presence was not going to be in the same way. He was not going to walk in his way, because they had sinned. They had separated themselves away from God's presence. And now God was like, I want you to experience me. I want you to experience my presence. So build this tabernacle, and in Exodus 25 to 31, he gives them exact blueprint of what it should look like, and I will dwell in there, and that will be a place where you will meet with me. And as they were getting this blueprint, as Moses was going up the mountain, Exodus 25 to 31, the people get uh, frustrated, they get annoyed, they're like, Moses is taking too long to get this sorted. That's what's basically happening. They start moaning and they're grumbling and they're fed up with it. So they go and say to Moses' brother, go and you build us a God we can worship, a golden calf. So they build a golden calf. And God's like, you didn't keep the covenant. The covenant, remember the Ten Commandments, one of them was do not worship other gods. So they've disobeyed the covenant that God had given them. And God is, in many ways, he is, he's annoyed, he's angry. But Moses is there, up on the mountain, he said, God, don't forsake us, basically. Don't leave us. He's saying to them, he says to God two things. Don't forget your promises to Israel. And God, what would other nations think of if you just say goodbye to Israel? And God, in his love and his care for his people, he says, okay, I will give you a new covenant. And then we fast forward to Exodus 33 and verse 18, and Moses is there, and this is what I spoke upon last week. He's there saying, show me your glory, Exodus 33, verse 18. And he's saying, show me your glory. I want to know more of you, God. This is the man that has seen God through a burning bush. He's seen many miracles. He's seen God doing, he's he's heard God's audible voice, but he's saying, that's not enough, God. And he says to God, show me your glory. I want more. I want to experience your presence more. He was hungry for something more. And Moses, uh, sorry, God, he responds by saying, my goodness will pass before you. And And then the story goes on, Exodus 34, and Moses is up the mountain, once again, having a conversation with God. He's good at having conversations with God. And we get to verses six and seven, and this is what it says. The Lord, the Lord. If you follow it in your Bibles, Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children, their children, for the sin of the parents in the third and fourth generation. See, at this point in time, it is like God revealing himself to the people. It is God saying who he is. He's like, this is my name. 
This is really the first time they would have really understood who God's character is. And we're going to go a bit deeper into that today. And this is so important to us. And further on from this verse, like I said earlier, people like Joel, Daniel, uh, David, and even Paul, you know, uh, many people, these Bible characters that we get, they're quoting from this scripture. And then we quote it on our lives, on the Sundays, on life groups. We quote it throughout every day, and it's it comes back to this uh, two verses. So, this morning I want to speak to you upon, this is number two, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord, the Lord. Those four words, the Lord, the Lord. When a child is born, it's a special moment. If you've had children, you would remember it. But it is a special moment in in a parent's life, in a family, in a whole family's life, and then you've got the grandparents, special moment in their life, and it, and it, it has a ripple effect upon uh, many people's lives. But for the parents specifically, it's, and particularly, it's a special moment in their life. You know, I remember uh, the days we spent at hospital. It was, uh, well, jo- for Joel, Joel gave birth, Joel gave birth, Joel came at the 12th of April, and I remember uh, Becky, she went in and got induced at the 10th of April, and we spent two whole days in that place, and for, you know, it was an emotional, tiring, and painful time uh, for, for me, and, um, uh, and for Becky, and for Becky, you know, she has similar feelings as well, uh, you know, because when, especially when Joel came out, you know, uh, you know, it was it was a great time for us, and uh, I remember, you know, those two whole days of not getting any sleep because I had to sleep on a chair. Becky, I used to watch Becky sleep, by the way, those two days. She had a bed. Don't care about the father, do they? They leave the father alone. They don't even give us any food, the father. I had to eat Becky's food. Anyway, but I, I wonder, like, have you ever thought about how people come up with giving their children names. It's quite interesting, really. You know, I've spoken to some people throughout the years, and by the time they've found out they're pregnant, they've already got the names of the child. They don't even know the gender or the sex, but they know the child's names. For some ladies, they, they, they don't even know about how to give birth to children, and they know before they know the children's names, like when they're kids. They're like, oh, my children, my, when I grow up, my children's going to be called this, this, and this. And then I've, I've met people that are the opposite side of the coin, where they've given birth, weeks later, they're still in argument of what they should call their child, and it's basically baby A or baby B. You know, it's quite interesting how people come up with how they're going to name their children. I remember for me and Becky, uh, we really, we didn't know the gender of the baby, and we, we wanted it to be a surprise, but for us... We had two names, really two names for a boy and two names for a girl, and that was after much discussion. And even, uh, even as time went on, we still really couldn't decide. And then it got to 2.33 on the 12th of April. This is when Joel was born, by the way, in the morning. And we, 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 was, we came as a boy, and we had two names. We were back and forth, and I, was one of, I had one name. Becky really had another name. And then Joel gave birth, and I looked at Becky, and I thought, you can have the name. And that's literally what happened. Because she gave birth to him. But I love the name. But this is Joel. And he's only about a few hours old then. I wasn't going to show you any other pictures, by the way. You know, that would be a bit too much detail. But this, is, this was Joel. And uh, Joel, 
you know, Joel came into the world, and it was a fantastic moment. And Joel, do you know what Joel means? It means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. See, names mean something. They relate to an object or an experience or a time in life. See, if I were to say Marmite, you would say love it or hate it. If I was to say Theresa May, you'd probably say Brexit. If I were to say 9-11, you'd probably say Twin Towers. If I was to say Tim Butler, you'd probably say awesome guy. <laughs> I was trying to like wait for someone to say something good about me. Just didn't come though. See, really, names and words have the power to affect someone else's mind. You realize that when I speak and you speak to me, I, I, I'm, in many ways, I'm putting stuff into your mind to make you think of other things. I think in the UK, people less pick names because of their meaning, but rather because it sounds good. It's a nice name. See, it's fashionable at the moment to pick a name for a child like uh, a celebrity. I'll name my child after this celebrity. I don't get it personally, but if, if it's good for you, it's good for you. Or, or a country, you know, or it's capital city. I love Malta. We should have called Joel Malta. Malta. That would be interesting. No, no, maybe not. But, or the other one is a royal name. People like calling royal names. See, there's fashions, but all those things aren't based really in, oh, what's the meaning of the name? It's based upon, I just like the name, or I like that celebrity, or I like this country. Uh, uh, some cultures, they still pick their names for meaning. When I worked in South Africa uh, voluntary uh, years ago, now, uh, I remember I worked in a township, and there was this volunteer lady uh, in her early 20s, and her name was Duma. And in Zulu, Duma means disappointment. But they named her that name on purpose. They wanted a boy, because a boy can earn money for the family, and a boy can take the inheritance when the parents die. So she was always labeled disappointment, Duma. See, in those cultures, the meaning of the name really is, um, really is important when picking a name. But it's not like that around here today. But in the Bible, it is very much like that. The you know, names are important. The meaning of names are important. Let, let's just think of some for a minute. Um, Abraham means father of the nations. Isaac means laughter. Do you know why it means? Do you know why they picked Isaac as laughter? Because when Sarah found out that she was, uh, God said to her, by the way, you're going to have a baby. She was like, I'm too old to have a baby. And she laughed to God. And then she gave birth. She said, well, we're going to name him laughter then. Isaac. Jacob means heel grabber, uh, heel grabber, which means liar or cheat. Even Jesus himself, his name means to save, to deliver, to rescue. See, names... They are associated in the Bible with occupation or their purpose in life or their character. See, God knew this and even changed people's names. You think of Abraham. His name was Abram before. Abram means high father. Abraham means father of nations. Even Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarah means mother of the nations. And in Peter, Peter was name was changed to Peter because it means rock. And God said, well, Jesus said, on this rock, I was going to build my church. See, God's name, it develops. 
God's name has meaning and purpose. And in Exodus 34, we see that God reveals his name. It's a name that's given to him, not because it's a nice name, but because it shows who he is, who his character is. In Exodus 34, verse 6, which we're going to talk about now, is the Lord, the Lord. And we see throughout the Bible, there is a storyline of God's name till we get to this point. And I'm just going to talk about this storyline of God's name. See, if we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God here was Elohim. Elohim in the Hebrew, which is, which in the English, uh, which is like in English, it's not, a, it, it's a title, not a proper name. See, God created everything out of, uh, created everything that we see into existence. The, the Elohim means supreme one, mighty one. See, the people saw God and they just knew that he created something. He's powerful, he's great. They didn't know about his character. They just called him God, Elohim, because he's, he's God who creates. He's so mighty. This is our God. He is the mighty one. And then we jump to Genesis 17, verse 1, and, we, and this is what it says. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And this is where we get the word, Hebrew word, Al Shaddai. Al Shaddai. And this is their next understanding of who God is. I don't know if you know, but Al is a Canaanite word for a God. Not just any ordinary God, but it was a creative God that was above all other gods. It was a creative God. That was a, so Al means, in Hebrew, it's a creative God and, uh, that's above all other gods. There was lots of Owls. There was lots of Owl gods at this time. But, there was, but Abraham was saying here, the Lord God Almighty, in Genesis chapter 9, 17, verse 1, that you are Al Shaddai. He's saying, you are higher, you are greater than bigger than any other creative God, than any other God. He's saying, he's basically saying, you are the biggest and greatest God and above any other creative God. Because they knew God as a creative God, a powerful, creative God. And they're saying, no, he is Al Shaddai. And then the Bible gives us a few more descriptions. Al Alain, which means God most high. Al Alam, which means God everlasting. See, at this point, in time throughout Genesis, they're starting to paint a picture of who this God is. Because we take it for advantage. We really do. The understanding of God, they just knew God. He created everything. And now we're starting to see the power of God, the greatness of God. So they're starting to declare it. Oh, he's Al Shaddai. He, he's Al Alon. He's Al Alon. He's, 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 he's these things. But then we get to the, the burning bush incident. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, because we're going to read it together. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And we get to this place, and the, 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 this story of who God is is starting to develop a bit more. And this is what it says, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jericho, you know, Moses, by the way, worked for his father-in-law. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, father-in-law, the priests of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, 
the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of the fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning. Imagine that. You know, you're in the middle of a desert and a bush is burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that the turned... When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. By the way, why is, he, why is God saying this? I am, the, I, am your, I am the God of your fathers. He's saying this because he's saying, you know the God that your, your great-great-great-granddad have been worshipping? I am this God. I am Elohim. I am Al Shaddai. He's trying to say, you know, I'm not this other God that someone else. I am the God who your ancestors have worshipped. And then we go to, uh, and Moses hid his face and we was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their, of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, towards the promised land, a land flowing with, with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 9, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have, seen all, I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send to you Pharaoh that will bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of, Israel, children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of the fathers has sent me to you. They asked, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say, to the, to, to, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. First, I have to be remembered throughout all generations. So here, God meets with Moses. God tells Moses that he sees the injustice and slavery of the people, and he's ready to do something about it. And he says to Moses, by the way, I am sending you. And Moses is a bit concerned. He's saying, he's saying to them, God, you know, you're calling me to do this, but why are they going to follow me and trust me? And God says, well, just tell them that the God of your ancestors, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has sent you. And he's like, but they're still not going to do it. They're still not going to follow and trust me. And then in verse 13, it says this. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, this is where it gets really, really, really interesting, right? Because here he says, what is his name? 
what is this? In the Hebrew, this is, you know, if I'm pronouncing it right, forgive me if you are a Hebrew scholar, I'm not. This is mashamol. Which if you are a Hebrew reader, your ears would have picked up at this point. There is something really interesting by this. Because usually you would ask, ma, sorry, my shemaka, which is who is your name? So if I was to meet with you for the first time in Hebrew, I would have said, my shemaka, who is your name? And you would respond by saying, Peter, or whatever your name is. But Moses, he says, ma shemo. And this is really important because he's not saying, who is your name? He is saying, what is his name? And this wouldn't have been normal. He is saying, what is the meaning of your name, God? What is, what is the significance of you? Who are you, God? He doesn't want to know just a title of God, like Elohim or, or um, Al Shaddai. They're all titles of who God is. He prayed to God, big power of God. He's wanting to know what is the significance, what is the meaning of your name? And this is, this is really, really important for us. Moses wanted to know more than just titles. He was saying, I've got to know who you are, God. I've got to know your character, who you are, so that I can tell the people. He didn't just want to be able to go, yeah, it's Alahim. It's Alahim. You remember Alahim? You know, it's Al Shaddai or, or, or so on and so on. He wanted to know who God is. And God responds by saying, I am who I am. In another way, he says, whatever I am, I will be. Whatever this God is like, he is consistently, he is unshifting, he is stable, he does it 24-7, 365 days a week. So for example on this, he is uh, 165 days a year. For example, God is compassionate. He is compassionate all the time. I am who I am. He can't stop himself being compassionate. Whatever I am, I am be. I am who I am. So God says, I am has sent you. And what he means is Yahweh. And you're thinking, how do you get from Yahweh to I am? Right, I'm going to spend the next two minutes getting really technical into some Hebrew. Okay, you ready for this? Here we go. So in ancient Hebrew, there are no vowels. Why? Because vowels take more work to do. You know, they didn't have computers. They didn't have paper. They wrote on walls. The less letters they can write, the better. Do you think I'm joking? This is why they did it. So, they took Yahweh. Uh, actually, let me give you an example first. So, I've got an example here. Here we go. What, what have I written this? This has got no vowels. This is a sentence. There's a little gap where it should be a. This is a sentence. So, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You did quite, you quite, you did really well. Did, you know, I, I thought it was a hard one. But you did really well. But, so Yahweh would have written like, uh, something like this. It would have written like this. So we get to Yahweh. See, Yahweh is the same root word as I am. Yahweh is the third person where I am is at her, which is the first person. So if we go a step forward, uh, when God says his name, he says her, if I'm pronouncing right, which is I am. But when we say God's name, it's Yahweh. So in Exodus verse, 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 chapter 3, verse 15, it says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you. I'll say wine back, actually. 
the, verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They asked me, what is his name? What should I say to them? God said, I am who I am. So he's saying, he's saying the first one, he says, when God says his name is Aha. So he's saying, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent you. And in that I am, it's Yahweh. So when we describe God, we describe him as Yahweh. We should call God Yahweh. And actually, this Yahweh word, it appears over 6,500 times in the New Testament. But then Yahweh turned into the Lord. See, how do we get from Yahweh to the Lord in Exodus 34, verse 6? And here it goes. The Israelites wanted to honor the sacred title of Yahweh. So when they read the scriptures out loud, they stopped saying Yahweh, but they started to say Adonai, which Adonai is Lord, by the way. So they said, actually, when, like I'm doing now, I, we don't want to say Yahweh. It's too sacred. So they started to say Lord. And then, over time, everyone follows that. And even today, the English translators uh, from the Bible, Hebrew uh, Bible, and into the Greek as well, they decided to say, actually, we're going to keep to Lord instead of saying Yahweh and do capital letters. So really, they just they, they didn't want to say it sacredly, so we get to the Lord, Lord. So here it is. Yahweh means I am who I am, which the Jewish community decided, let's turn it into the Lord. And that's where we get the Lord, the Lord. So what is Exodus thir verse 34, verse 6 saying? It's reading this, that our God is Yahweh, who is I am, who I am. That's what the Lord, the Lord means. I am who I am. I'm just, I know it's a bit technical, a bit, you know, but I hope you're following it. I am who I am. And then when, how, what does that mean? What does I am who I am? If God says I am who I am, what does it mean? It means three things. Number one, that God exists. There was a bloke called Francis Schaeffer, and he said, he would always say, God is here. God exists. God is here. And this might seem an obvious and basic understanding that we shouldn't mention it. But we should mention it, because most people don't believe that God exists. They don't believe God exists. That, that God is a relational, triunial person who holds the whole world in his hands. And when God says, I am, I am, when he's saying Yahweh, the, the Lord, he's saying that I exist. I exist. And then what number two is saying that God is God never changes. See, we always change our mind. Sometimes we change our mind because of unseen circumstances. Sometimes we change our mind because we just want to change our mind. And God perceives all circumstances, has no weaknesses. Nothing in creation takes him off guard and bats him into a corner. Nothing will change God. I am who I am. He's, he's stable. He's, he's reliable. He's a rock. He never changes. The third thing is that God is all-powerful. He has power. His personality is radiant with infinite energy. He never needs a recharge. You know, we have to recharge things like laptops, computers, iPhones, and we have to recharge ourselves. But God does not need to be plugged in to recharge himself. He is all-powerful. He cannot faint or grow weary. He's a never-ending river of life and a source of strength for us. 
to you when we think of I am or I am. Why is this important to us? Because it says that God exists, God never changes, and he's all-powerful. See, let's move a few thousand years, and we get to this bloke called Jesus. And in John 1, verse 14, it says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came to the Father full of grace and truth. This is a profound statement. If you think about it for a moment, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God made his dwelling among us uh, through Jesus, in, 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 in Jesus, sorry, in Jesus. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What's going on here? Well, it's hard to see in English translation, but this language is ripped straight out of Exodus 34. I'll tell you why. The phrase made dwelling among us is literally pitched his tabernacle amongst us. He's made his dwelling among us. If you understand the Hebrew and the Greek, it's saying that he's pitched his uh, tabernacle among us. Do you remember what I was describing earlier? That there was a tabernacle for the presence of God. This is the presence of God coming among us. Jesus coming among us. Next one, glory. This is related to Mount Sinai. Do you remember the glory of God was on the mountain with the thunder and the lightning? Next bit was, is grace and truth. Which, if you want, uh, as we go further into this, we'll be talking about love and faithfulness. Grace and truth is love and faithfulness. John here is ripping the language out of Exodus. Tabernacle, glory, love and faithfulness. And he's retelling the Sinai story around Jesus. He is making the point that Jesus, we see the creator, God's glory. His presence and his beauty like never before. In Jesus, Yahweh becomes a human being. This is, this is really important. And I want to go one step further because John is specifically writing to Jews. He is there to convince the Jews that, that Jesus isn't just a human, he is fully God. That, that's, what he's, that's specifically what he's writing, to convince them that he's God. And this is what Jesus declares about himself in uh, the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am life of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Are you seeing this? I am. What does the Lord, Lord mean? It means I am who I am. And now Jesus has come on here, and he's saying, I am. He's saying, I am Yahweh. For the Jews and the Greeks, the word Lord was the word used to translate Yahweh. So here, Jesus is saying, Jesus is Lord. For the first Christians who were mostly Jews, they would, they would be like, yes, this is it. Yahweh in flesh and blood. See, this is where we get interested. See, when we declare Jesus is Lord, we are declaring, I am who I am over our lives and our circumstances. We know I am exists, he never changes, and he is powerful. So when we feel hopeless, Jesus is Lord. When we feel restless, Jesus is Lord. When we feel that fear is gripping us, Jesus is Lord. When we feel we can't, Jesus is Lord. When we 
feel that there is no other way Jesus is Lord. See, we as people of God need to start declaring Jesus as Lord because when we declare Jesus is Lord over our lives and over our circumstances and over our town, we are declaring, I am who I am. We're declaring this Lord. See, we sometimes, we can think Yahweh in the Old Testament is the parallel to the Father in the New Testament. But this really is, and, and we can think that Jesus is a new guy on the block. But Jesus is a long-awaited human, coming of Yahweh. He is the God on top of Sinai. The name of God, Yahweh. He has worked on this earth. He has died and he's, he's resurrected. And there is power in his name. There's a great story in the Bible, and it's from Peter and John. Actually, turn there with me. Acts 4, verse 1 to 12. Acts 4, verse 1 to 12. I'm going to land soon, so don't worry. Acts 4, 1 to 12. You there? Sorry, I'm... As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were arrested, they, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word, believe, word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, all the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Aeneas, the high priest, and they, sorry, um, where am I? Sorry, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Aeneas, the high priest, Cephas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, if you were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known all the earth, to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you, before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you may be saved. Whose name do you come in? So Peter and John, they were like, they were like, it's not us. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in the name of Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the Lord Lord. Jesus is the I am. Jesus is the guy that was on the mount. Uh, on top of Mount Sinai, and it is Yahweh in flesh and blood. He has come amongst us and been amongst us. And when we experience situations in life, when fear um, grabs hold of us and our thoughts are wandering, when we don't know how a circumstance is going to work out or a situation, we, as people of God, we need to declare Jesus is Lord. You come before God. You declare Jesus' name. You invoke the status with God. You're not coming to God like a beggar on the street, but you're coming as a daughter and son of God. 
I want to end by saying this. And I want us all to stand. And we're going to sing a song to end in a minute. But I just want us all to stand. I want to say this. Whatever you're feeling or going through, or whatever you want to see this person's life change, you know you don't have to climb any mountain. You, all you have to do is open your lips and declare Jesus is Lord. You don't have to climb any mountain. When life seems too much, and you don't have to put any more into life, you just need to declare Jesus is Lord. Because when you declare Jesus is Lord, you are declaring I am who I am over our lives. And who is I am who I am? It is Yahweh. It is the one that never changes. It is the one that always exists and is all-powerful. See, this is amazing because for the people of this day, when they've heard of this Yahweh, you know, they, they knew, they, start, they understand that God is a title, but then they're starting to see who is this character of God? Declaring, God declaring the Lord, Lord, it is, and saying, I am who I am, you know, it would have completely changed the perspective of their understanding of who God is. Because they're starting to think, we can trust him, we can rely on him, he's dependable, you know, he's powerful, he's there for us. And now we have this man called Jesus, who is the fulfillment, who is, who is this person. And he comes in. And I want to encourage you and challenge you that whenever life happens, things ups and downs, to declare Jesus is Lord over our lives. And I want to pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you are here with us right now. And I thank you that you are the, uh, you are the Lord, Lord. And I thank you for Jesus coming in flesh and blood. And I pray for every single circumstance, everything that's going on in our lives at the moment. And I pray that Jesus is Lord over all these things. Jesus is I am who I am. He's the powerful one. And I pray that you would just, uh, I pray that we would start speaking into our circumstances. That we wouldn't feel we're trying to climb more, do more, or do this or do that. But what we would do, we would speak your words into our lives. And we would see things change from that. Father God, I pray that you would encourage and bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our last song together.